So we as a church are celebrating the Advent season. And Advent is a Latin word that means coming or arrival. And during this season, we have talked, as Aaron just mentioned a few minutes ago, we've talked about the the hope that Christ brings at his birth. We've also talked about the love that Christ brings at his birth. And today we're gonna be focusing on the joy and the peace that comes with Christ as he's born into this world. And so that's what we're gonna be doing in Luke chapter two. My wife, Molly, she loves Christmas. And she wants Christmas, like many of us, to feel like Christmas. Like she wants the sights, she wants the smell, she wants the movies, she wants the snow, if we can get it here in Tennessee. And of course, she wants the decorations. And decorations are a big part. And so this is our fifth married Christmas. And we've been working and building our Christmas repertoire as a house, and um, it's never quite felt just right yet. We're getting closer every year, but it's not quite there. And so we're constantly thinking of new ways that we can make our home feel like Christmas. And so this year, she came up with one which is really, really cool. And as you walk into our house, over on on the left, on a white wall, there in marquee letters, it says um, some familiar lyrics from one of the best Christmas songs out there. It says, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And I read that every day, and I've just been pondering that, thinking about that. And it probably doesn't take much for me to convince you that we live in a weary world. I know I am weary. I'm weary of death. You know, over the past two years, Molly and I have had just uh, an incredible amount of death in our family. We've lost three of our remaining grandparents. We've lost our 15-month-old nephew, Gus. On his two-week checkup, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, his life was just unfathomably short. I'm weary of cancer. I'm weary of just the grip of poverty in our city. I'm weary of watching children raise themselves because their parents haven't grown up yet. I'm weary of people talking past each other in arguments and demonizing people on the other side of issues. I'm weary of the epidemic of loneliness when among a people who were created for community. There's so much more that you, there's so much more that I can lament. We live in a weary world. And so why does a weary world find itself rejoicing at the birth of Christ? So I've been thinking about that song. And the Christmas story reveals that Jesus willingly chose to enter into our weariness and into our chaos that we experience every day. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter two. And in Luke chapter two, we get a picture of a family which is full, or we get a picture of a family full of joy and full of peace in the midst of chaotic and weary circumstances. But in order to understand Luke chapter two, we need to know a little bit of backstory of what's happening in Luke one. In Luke one, we're introduced to a teenage girl named Mary. We're told that she's a virgin. We're told that she's engaged. And we're told that God favors her. And she's from this small little insignificant town called Nazareth. And an angel appears to her one day and tells her that God is with her and that he is about to do something that will change the world and he's gonna do it through her. She's going to conceive a child named Jesus who will be a king whose kingdom will never end. And Mary is quite shocked by this news and has evidently paid attention in her biology classes because she asks, how is this gonna happen since I'm a virgin? And the angel reveals that this child will be conceived by God in her womb because nothing is impossible for God. Mary submits to this audacious claim in faith and she tells the angel, I am a servant of the Lord, may his word be fulfilled to me. 
Mary says yes to this proposition that would cause her to be misunderstood by many and probably even hated or called insane by others. And the Gospel of Matthew lets us know that her fiance, Joseph, when he finds out about what's going on, he intends to end this relationship honorably. But an angel shows up to him and says, actually, she's telling the truth. Like, you need to go along with this. And so he submits to it as well. And so let's not rush over the fact that this couple, they dismissed their own plans and took up the incredibly inconvenient plans that God had for them. Mary, I cannot imagine what Mary went through. All the conversations, all the judgment that she would have to endure for at minimum nine months, but more than likely endured for her entire life. The gossip about her promiscuity and the claim that her pregnancy was God's will. All of this because Mary and Joseph heard and submitted to the word of Christ. And so starting in verses one through three, we're given the historical setting that this all starts to unfold in. In verse one of Luke chapter two, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Canerius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to their own town. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of the entire Rome, or the Roman Empire, which was the greatest power of the world at the time. And he falls into the trap that most people in power fall into and they are hungry for more power and they will do whatever it takes to get more power. And so one of the best ways to get more power and to expand your influence is through taxes. And so he begins a census that encompasses the entire Roman world at the time. And all these people would come together and they would be required to pay, but first they had to register with their hometown. And so unbeknownst to this pagan king of Caesar, God is using this king's plan, his power grab to usher in his divine plan. The story zooms in in verse four on this little insignificant and controversial family. It says, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and the lineage of David to be with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And so Mary and Joseph, they lived in Nazareth, but their ancestors were from Bethlehem, so which required them to travel home to be counted for this census. So Mary and Joseph begin the difficult 90-mile journey from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. And hundreds of years before these events unfolded, the prophets that these people would read would know and declare that the king would be coming from Bethlehem. So in Micah 5.2, it says, and this is one of the prophets who who prophesied this, he said, "But, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over all of Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And then verse five of that same chapter tells us that this king shall be their peace. You see, God is up to something in this small family. In fact, the entire nation of Israel is subject to Caesar and his Roman empire, and they are waiting this king that's talked about in Micah chapter five. And they knew that he would come from Bethlehem, and they knew that he would be their peace. So here we are, and God is using Caesar's tax over an entire empire to bring about his coming king of peace. And how does God orchestrate this king's entrance into the world? We find out in verse six and seven. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This probably was not Mary's birth plan, I'm guessing. It wasn't enough for her to endure all that she had for the past nine months, but now at the climax of the event, 
she finds herself in a barn surrounded by animals. You know, the only live birth that I have witnessed was in the Miracle of Life video in my seventh grade health class. <laughs> and I can't imagine that happening in a barn. It was, oh man, just the, think about a barn, just the smells, the people who aren't there. There's no hand sanitizer in this barn. There's no privacy and there's not even a bed. This is how God chose to be born. This is how God became human flesh. This was God's divine plan being carried out in the exact way that he imagined it. He chose to be in the care of this teenage family and for his first bed to be a bed of feed for livestock. God's plans are so different than Josh Willis's plans. When was the last time you were around a baby or around first-time parents? This past May through October, we had the incredible gift of having some of our best friends in the world live with us. And about a month into that, they had their firstborn child. And so they brought him home to our house, and which was just such a sweet gift that has forever changed me, watching this little child. And um, one of the things that struck me as I watched them learn how to be parents is that there are so many unknowns when it comes to a baby. Like, how are, how are they supposed to sleep? How long are they supposed to sleep? How much should I feed them? When should I feed them? Is this thing doing that they're normal? Why won't they stop crying? All, all the gambit. There's more questions, I'm sure. Equally amazing to all of these questions is that there are so many contradictory answers to those questions from people. It's just from everything. And in the best of circumstances, it is beautiful, but it is hard to raise a child. And throw in the fact that Mary and Joseph just ushered God into the world 90 miles away from their hometown. Why did God choose to be born this way? And what about this brings peace? It seems pretty chaotic to me. This story does not go the way that I would plan, but let's keep reading in verses eight through 14. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a child who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and declaring glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those with whom he is pleased. This is a pretty epic birth announcement. The shepherds are doing their job in the field at night and God sends an angel who shows up in the full glory of the Lord to let these shepherds know that there is good news of great joy for everyone. Rescue has shown up in the form of a king who is chosen from God and he will be who your people have been waiting for now for centuries. The one who will free you from the reign of the emperor is here and he will bring joy and he will bring peace. The angel encourages them to go and find this manger, find this baby that's wrapped in swaddling cloths. And then all of a sudden, these angels appear, these others, this giant group of angels appear and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. They are in a field at night, surrounded only by the light of the moon and the stars. And then God's cover band shows up in full force to announce that there is peace and there is a joy for all people. This, if this is truly great news, that's for everybody, like it says it is, 
Why tell it to the shepherds? I mean, God knows who Caesar is, obviously, and he pays attention to some of what Caesar does. Why not tell Caesar? If you wanted this news to go viral, surely showing up in Caesar's house in the middle of the night and declaring this same scene would be the right way to do that. But instead, God chooses to reveal this great plan to the most ordinary of citizens, the shepherds who are working on a night shift. They spend their evenings protecting, protecting sheep from wolves in the middle of the night. God chose not to reveal this news to those who had the most Instagram followers or to the professional athlete or musician or to the president or even a CEO. No, God chose the ordinary, probably forgotten about person doing their job in the middle of the night. He chose the grocery store cashier that most people skip over to go through self-checkout. The contrasting choice between the shepherds and Caesar is deeply important. Why or who does God decide to share his good news with first? It's probably not who we think. It might be worth paying attention to this as we go about our days. Who might God be revealing himself to in our neighborhoods or in our workplaces that we don't even give the time of day? So what do the shepherds do with this news and experience? We find out in verse 15 as we keep going. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us. And, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. The shepherds talk among themselves and they quickly make haste to go find the savior in a manger. They find the baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph and whoever was else there, and they testify all that they have seen and heard because they cannot keep it in. This guy named D.L. Brock says it beautifully. He said, God is at work while heaven speaks and watches. That's what they're testifying, that God is up at work and the angels are proclaiming what is going on. And can you imagine this scene in heaven as they're watching these events unfold? You, hear the, you can almost hear the angels whisper as they look down, is he really gonna become human? Is he really gonna choose that family in that location? And then they watch God's plan unfold and then they are the ones who carry the message to God's chosen witnesses, these ordinary shepherds. This is a glorious mystery that is pregnant with the character of God. We're going to look at the four responses here in the last four verses um, and just kind of see what it, how do they respond when they bring this news to the, major, so, or to the manger. So the first response that we see is in verse 18, and it's a response of wonder. And it said, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Wonder. They took their collective breath and dwelled on just the audacity of these claims. They saw it in the shepherds' faces as they broke into the manger full of expectation. And normally when you show up in a hospital to meet a newborn baby and to visit parents, it doesn't go quite like this because you follow the parents' lead. Normally you come in quietly, you see if it's a good time, you greet the parents, you tell them that their baby is beautiful, you drop off a gift and you quickly leave and congratulate them and get out of their way. But I imagine this manger scene was just a little bit different. And I'm not just talking about the lack of hand sanitizer or the smells. These guys come in declaring that this baby is God. I can imagine Mary and Joseph just looking at each other with the cheesiest smiles on their face as they're saying, somebody believes us. Somebody believes us. 
Because over the past nine months, I'm sure they've been surrounded by doubt, misunderstanding, and accusations. And finally, somebody shows up who is on their team. Mary and Joseph were on the beginning of a journey of joining God into the unknown and the complicated, all because God called them to do it. And obedience sometimes can be deeply, deeply isolating. However, God will bring people alongside you to encourage you to press on as you step into obedience. And the shepherds must just have been a giant breath of fresh air to Mary and Joseph. And all who are there begin to wonder, what does this mean? When will he become king? What will his kingdom look like? I'm sure it was loud, but I'm also sure that this place was full of moments of silence as they were lost in thought, lost in wonder. The second response that we see to this mystery being revealed is in Mary, Mary treasuring this claim. In verse 19, but Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary treasured what was being revealed. Where wonder gaze upon the va- gazes upon the vastness of the beauty of the picture being painting, I believe um, treasuring is when you take it and you claim it as your own. As Mary sees this big picture, but then she realizes that she is a part of it. She takes hold of it and claims it as her own. It's going from the universal to Mary's particular. She believed that the Lord had said something and she had already submitted to it, but now she was living in the circumstances that were brought about by her belief. Has it ever crossed your mind that peace from God might feel like a giant bucket of chaos being poured out on your life? Because it really did here. Where this scene is no doubt beautiful to Mary, it is couched in great difficulty and great discomfort. For one thing, she had just given birth and probably a lot of her even family and friends don't believe her. A group of strangers has just busted into the most intimate moment of her life and she is now tasked with raising God. This picture of Mary is something that we have got to think about. We are surrounded by weariness, difficulty, the unknown, and stress. How do we choose joy and choose peace that's available in Jesus? Because I don't believe Mary is dismissive of what she has endured or what she will endure, just as I believe true joy and true peace are not dismissive of the real and difficult circumstances that we might find ourselves in. The world that we live in is weary and it is not fully transformed yet. But Mary's faith comes from being in the presence of Jesus and trusting God's words while, that produce joy and produce peace while she treasure, treasures that joy and treasures that peace above the chaos. And much like Mary, we are surrounded by a weary world. I was reminded of this this past weekend as every year I get to participate in a beautiful and somber ceremony with Molly's family. Molly's sister, Emily, was, um, passed away almost 14 years ago, just a few months before her 17th birthday. We visit her gravesite throughout the year several times as a family just to remember and to, to be with her. And every year when we go in December, there's a particular weekend that's just a little bit different because the, ceremony, or the cemetery will partner up with the Boy Scouts who will prepare these white paper bags and fill them with sand, and they'd stick a candle in, and they, just, they make thousands of these. And they put them all throughout, the cere- or all throughout the cemetery. And as it begins to get dark, hundreds of families will come out and they'll grab the paper bra- bags and they'll bring them to the grave sites and they'll light the candle. It's just this overwhelming, beautiful and somber scene. So we just see just thousands of candles. Hundreds of families come to one cemetery. 
I'm just reminded that it's not just us, but all people are weary. We are full of weary. But those who have encountered the good news that the angels proclaim in Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2 know that weariness is not our only description. A weary world rejoices at the birth of Jesus. If you've ever met Molly or if you've ever met her parents, you'll know that weary is not the primary descriptor of their lives. Joy abundant and peace efficient are treasures to them as they move through the wake of great pain and great loss. Joy and peace are readily available to those through Jesus, through in the midst of difficulty. And Mary in this story exemplifies this as she treasures this joy and treasures this peace in a chaotic circumstance. And so the third response that we see to this mystery being revealed is one of celebration. In verse 20, it says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen, just as it had been told to them. The shepherds just cannot get enough of what they have seen. On their way home, they keep reminding each other of what they had just experienced, that in the middle of the night, they were doing their job and God showed up and called them to enter or to witness his entrance into the world. Their only response is worship and celebration. And when you share favorite memories and great excitement, joy overflows out of you. I'm reminded of watching football games with my dad. I grew up in Houston, Texas, which is about an hour away from College Station, Texas. And my dad is an Aggie and my sister, both of my sisters are Aggies and a lot of my family is. So I spent a lot of Saturdays at Kyle Field growing up. If you know anything about A&M in the last 30 years, you'll know that I have experienced some pretty disappointing losses in, in my time. And so the car ride home after a disappointing loss is full of what ifs and it's full of disappointment as we just lament what we just experienced emotionally. But the car rides home when we win are some of my favorite memories that I have. We go over the same plays. We talk about, oh, do you remember that catch? Do you remember that tackle? Or what about this decision? As we replay the game over and over for at least an hour on our way home, we feel like we were a part of it. And our joy just gets higher and higher as we get more excited about the game that we had just experienced. And to a much greater extent, I imagine what this is what the shepherds walk on the way home was like, as they kept telling the story and they kept keep overflowing with joy and said, God showed up in the middle of a field and chose us. We got to witness this. Like the world just changed and we were a part of it. They celebrate and followers of Jesus celebrate the birth of Christ and the joy and the peace that it brings. And the fourth and the final response that we see to this mystery revealed is in verse 21 and it's a response of action. And at the end of the days or at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Mary and Joseph's life takes shape around God's word. And as faithful Jews, they followed the custom that was given to them by God many generations to go. And they, they fulfilled that by circumcising Jesus. But then they also named Jesus, which I think this is a important part of the story because this is what the angels had revealed to them. And I think this is one step of many that we see through Mary and Joseph's lives where they just were attentive to what God said, and they did it. That was something that exemplified them. And followers of Jesus choose to respond when God speaks, and we see this in Mary and Joseph's life. And this small, insignificant family became the most significant family simply because they acted on what God said to them. Their testimony is one of joy, and it's one of peace because of the presence of Jesus in the midst of their chaos. 
So my question for us today is who here needs this joy? Who here needs this peace that was ushered in in Jesus's miraculous birth? Because we are surrounded by circumstances that cause us to be weary. Jesus willingly entered into our chaos in an unthinkable way in order to bring his peace and to bring his joy, and not just in the future, but also right here in a present reality. Jesus is weary of death. Jesus is weary of cancer. Jesus is weary of poverty. And he does not stand at a distance. He comes all of the way in and he mourns with us on earth. His birth announces that peace and joy are available. So how do we step into that? I think it all begins with wonder. We dwell upon the absurd claims of this miraculous birth. God's methods and his choices do not make sense to me. Why did he do that? Why would he reveal himself to the seemingly insignificant? Where might he be revealing himself today? Join me in wonder of this incredibly good news. And if you're feeling the weariness of the world that we live in, move from wondering to treasuring and taking hold of this peace and taking hold of this joy that is available because God interrupted the world with his presence. Take hold of it and let it be your primary perspective in the way that you see the world. Talk to someone, if you, if you want this joy, if you want this peace, find somebody who's got it and ask them about it. Like, how do you do that? What is that like? I encourage you because just like the shepherds could tell this story better than you and I could, the people who have experienced this, who have taken hold of the wonder and treasured it can share it alongside with you. So if you need somebody to talk to, talk to one of us at the Respond Band or talk to somebody that you came with or talk to a volunteer or somebody who is carrying the joy and the peace of Christ in the midst of difficult circumstances. circumstances. And then respond in celebration like the shepherds do on the way home. We are surrounded by people who are weary and who need his joy and who need his peace. They will not know it unless they see it in our lives. We do not run from the world, but we follow Jesus into the world with his joy and with his peace because people are thirsty for it and they are attracted to the joy and the peace of Christ that's made available because of this story. And finally, let's be a church that acts on what the Lord speaks and reveals. Look at what Mary and Joseph got to participate in all because they said yes to God's crazy plan. We will not experience all that God has for us unless we step into what he reveals to us today. And so every week at Ethos, we participate in this sacrament of communion where we believe that Jesus is present as we take the body and we take the blood I'll take the cup. And we just, we're reminded that this same Jesus who entered into our mess in this story is with us in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our weariness. And my question for you today as we take communion is, are you experiencing this joy and are you experiencing this peace? It's okay if you're not. If you're not, I encourage you to share that around the cup and share that around the bread and ask, Lord, will you give me your peace? Will you help me treasure this? Will you help me celebrate this? Will you help me wonder about this? God, I wanna step into it. And just ask the Lord to do that. And if you need somebody to talk to, if you need prayer, if you wanna receive this joy, if you wanna receive this peace, if you wanna pray about something else, or if you just wanna be listened to, over here at the Respond Banner to my left, in just a moment, we'll have a team of people that would love to pray with you and love to talk to you about this. And so take advantage of this opportunity to share, do you have this joy? Do you have this peace? Let's testify about that as we encounter Jesus in the bread and the cup. So I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and stand up. 
Communion is all throughout the room. We've got it on the bar over here and the tables throughout the room. Go ahead with people around you, grab it and share. Are you experiencing this joy? Are you experiencing this peace?